The Irish Civil War lasted for 11 months when compared to other civil wars throughout history, not a very long period of time. In that relatively short period, over 780 National Army soldiers on the pro-treaty side died. The Forgotten Fallen is a new book by historian James Langton, which tells the story of who those men were. And James joins me now. You're very welcome indeed to the programme. Tell us first of all about that the title, The Forgotten fallen. In what sense do you think these men have been forgotten? Well, for several reasons, really. Firstly, I always felt that the deaths of the soldiers in the book have been mainly forgotten, not by their families, of course, but by the government that they died trying to defend. As historian Anne Dolan rightly put it, nothing robbed the Free State soldier more of his dignity than the government's treatment of his memory. And I also found when I'd visit cemeteries throughout the country, I'd be very saddened when I'd find their graves unmarked with no headstone. Of course, poverty played a huge part in that, uh, where families wouldn't be able to afford a headstone, you know. I also found that with the anti-treaty soldiers as well, you know. It wasn't like the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and uh, World War One, where everybody got a headstone, all the headstones were the same, and they were all buried where they died. Yeah, well, you'll probably notice in the book, uh, historian Lars Fallon uh, wrote the foreword, and he explained it perfectly well. He compared them to those soldiers who died in, force, in the First World War. You know, Irishmen who fought for another cause and in another uniform, another army. You know, rarely like would you go into a city, town or village in Ireland where there would, wouldn't be some form of memorial to remember these men by. And quite rightly so. But in comparison, there's very few to the national soldiers who died during the Civil War conflict. Of course, like I said, they were not, by no means forgotten by their families and comrades, but were certainly forgotten by the government of the time and successive governments. And why do you think the government didn't step in? Because the, I mean, during the War of Independence, the IRA prided itself on attempting at least to behave like an army and in many instances mimicked the, the procedures of the British army, of their, of their opponents, why did the Free State government not decide to mimic the procedure adopted by the British government in World War One and, and pay for gravestones? They just became statistics of a war that everyone wanted to forget, in particular the government. Michael Collins's grave wasn't marked until, I think it was 1939. When you look at the graves in Glasnevin Cemetery, where the army plot actually is, I mean, that wasn't, their names weren't inscribed on that until, I think it was 1967. They remained unmarked, which is an absolute disgrace when we compared it with the World War I memorial, that is, Oil and Bridge. A memorial, by the way, that the government gave £50,000 at the time towards its development and a further 25000 for the upkeep of their grades throughout the country without a second thought. And that, that was in 1940. And it was proposed in the 1930s that, that you know, that's, that's soon after the First World War, if you like, compared to 1967. Now let's drill down into those statistics. Um, when you look at all the men who died, 788 by your account, the figures are interesting. 488 were killed in action, died of wounds, were assassinated or in some cases were executed. Yeah. That figure, though, is still quite a bit short of the 788 names in the book. What happened the other 300? Well, 175 of them died in accidental shootings and mishandling of other weaponry. Uh, 32 died in other accidental circumstances, you know, like falls, road accidents, things like that, you know. Um, four of them uh, actually drowned. 
and uh, 69 of them died of natural causes in the course of that conflict. And that was quite hard to nail down because you're wondering, well, if they died of natural causes, was it because of what happened during the Civil War? Like a lot of them, some of them had TB and different things like that. So you'd get things like that from being out in the weather and out on manoeuvres and in all weathers, you know what I mean? So they are, I included them in it, but only the 69 who died during the course of the conflict. Also, I just want to mention there was uh, seven uh, former national soldiers executed by the Free State Government who deserted to the anti-treaty side. And uh, they're recorded both in this volume and volume two, which covers the anti-treaty side. On the cover of the book, there's an image of the headstone of Tom Kill. And uh, Tom Kill was one of the National Army soldiers killed during the Civil War. Tell us a little bit about the harrowing story of his death. Well, he was blown to pieces, basically, in a trap mine explosion down in Cork, along with six other troops. And the sad thing about it was he actually survived the blast long enough to ask for a priest. And uh, he had horrific injuries and died an awful death, you know. The headstone itself was paid for by his uh, friends and comrades on uh, both sides of the Civil War. Because he was one of Michael Collins' elite squad. And it was unveiled by Liam Tobin. And when it was unveiled... People from both sides of the conflict attended the unveiling ceremony. Tom Kyo's uh, War of Independence history is really interesting. And he's from Wicklow, but he took part in every major operation, if you like, in the Dublin Active Service Unit. The headstone itself is, as you can see, it's a dying Tom Kyo at the base of the cross, supposed to be lying on the side of the road. And there's also a bronze plaque or an image of his face. And then around the actual monument itself is the different stages of Irish history, like you have the 1798 rebellion, an effigy, if you like, of that. And then you have the 1867, the Fenian Rising, and then the 1916 Rising. And, you know, it's a really fabulous monument. Talk to us a bit about the experience of the families of members of the National Army who have been killed, the the knock on the door, because apparently that's what it was, uh, uh, to be told that a son or a husband has been been killed. I mean, that must have been devastating. Yeah, well, you had wives, we say, with their children in their homes or parents, and all of a sudden the place was in a state of chaos at the time, so there was communication was literally silched. And they wouldn't know anything about the deaths of their loved ones until a knock would come to the door and the coffin would be basically outside on a carriage, which must have been horrific. No telegrams to warn them? No, in many cases there wasn't, depending on the communication system at the time and how well it was up and running, you know. Now, obviously, Michael Collins is the most famous fatality on the pro-treaty side in the Civil War. But tell us about one of the less well-known fatalities, Commandant Matthew Fitzpatrick. He was killed in something that became known as the Clonus Affray. What was all that about? Yeah, well, now, he's not buried there. There are, it's not the soldiers, you know, buried there, including two of the captains that were killed at Nottnagoshe in County Kerry, which led to the Ballycidi massacre in the end, you know, and a string of tiff-attack killings. But the other guys, like General Matthew Fitzpatrick at the 5th Northern Division, he was actually one of the first soldiers killed because it was in February 1922 before the Civil War actually officially broke out. And what happened was there was three men going to be executed up in Derry Jail. Um, the story starts with Michael Collins basically wants them out. So they decided to, with the GAA, believe it or not, to uh, stage a cup final, which is unusual for February. And he sent the team up over the border with the intention of uh, breaking these men out. And one of them 
was a fellow called Dan Hogan, who was a brother of Michael Hogan, who was killed in Crow Park. But when they went up, they were captured by the Ulster Constabulary and jailed. So Michael Collins wanted, demanded their release, and it just wasn't happening. Craig wanted him to apply for their bail and this and the other, and he wouldn't do that because to do that, you'd see he was being tricked into recognising the six-county state, which he didn't. So in response to that, the National Army actually sent a force of 200 men into Tyrone and Fermanagh and captured 45 prominent Orange men. And Ono Duffy, Sean Boylan, on the anti-treaty side, and Collins himself, they coordinated that operation. Of course, Craig and that wanted those released because Collins was letting on that he didn't know anything about it and he'd do his best to see that they'd be released. So up, up there at the time, there was A specials, B specials and C specials in the Ulster Constabulary. There was about 32,000 to 42,000 of those. And three days later, they were on their way to Belfast, from Belfast to Enniskillen, and they stopped at that particular clonal station. Of course, that was south of the border. So there was an understanding that none of those would cross the border, either in uniform or armed. And it was totally disregarded, you know. When they pulled into the station, there was also Irish volunteers on the platform. And word uh, reached... Fitzpatrick, who immediately headed to the station to, to interview the B-Specials leader, who happened to be a sergeant. So when he made it to the carriage and to call him to surrender, he, he was just immediately shot. There was no questions asked. He was just immediately shot through the head. And when this happened, of course, IRA volunteers and national soldiers poured into the station from all directions and all hell broke loose. There was a gunner there, a national soldier called Joe McConnell, who later became a colonel in the Irish Army. He happened to have one of the submachine guns that Collins had smuggled into the country. And he opened up on the uh, Ulster policemen with tragic consequences. He killed five of them outright, including the sergeant who had killed Fitzpatrick, and maimed all of the rest of them, three of who would later die of their wounds. So this led to a huge uh, diplomatic incident and actually stopped Churchill from withdrawing the British troops from the south. So Collins pulled the master stroke of diplomacy and went to London and convinced Churchill and Lloyd George not to reinvade the country. And he would do his best to see that the hostages would be released. So on the 21st of February that year, the Monaghan GEA prisoners were all released. And the following day, the Irishmen were all released also unharmed, you know. So it's, it's an amazing story. But you can just imagine it. Again, like the petty coincidence, it was where anti-treaty and pro-treaty joined forces against the, uh, the common enemy, you know. An extraordinary story. Now, now mm. one, of the, one of the dominant narratives when it comes to the Irish Civil War is executions carried out by the Free State Government, uh, yeah. 77 of them, uh, apparently. I'm sure that's something you will cover in detail in the next volume of the series, which is going to be on the oh, anti-treaty yeah. IRA who died. But the anti-treaty IRA also executed extrajudicially a number of Free State soldiers. Who were they? Why were they executed? John P. Duggan, who wrote a brilliant book on the Irish Army a number of years ago, he maintained that there were 53 of them executed in, in all. But I could only find evidence of 11 actual executions, you know. And I can only assume then that the remaining 42 concerned the ruthless murders of unarmed soldiers who were shot in the streets, you know, like Private Fitzgerald on Granby Row in Dublin, and others who were shot or murdered in their homes, like the O'Connor brothers in uh, Kenmare in County Kerry. But to give you a, a, a good example of an execution, one that happened in Adamstown in County Wexford. There was two soldiers sort of acting the maggot, if you like, in McCabe's public house. They're throwing their weight around and word went back to the local barracks that this was going on. And 
Lieutenant uh, Thomas Jones with a number of soldiers went down to apprehend the two soldiers. And when they went there, they only found one of them. So they, they took him away. But then they later went back looking for the other guy. And the IRA were waiting on them there. An anti-treaty forces waiting on them there and captured them and took them away and executed them in a field not too far away, you know. So that's an example of where anti-treaty forces carried out the executions and further proof of the drastic measures carried out by both sides as the conflict sank to terrible depths. And about the Adamstown incident, I was very moved to find a memorial there. In this particular case, the three men that were executed there were executed as a reprisal, if you like, for three anti-treaty men, namely Crean, Pearl and Hogan, who were killed in Wexford Jail. And on the site where the three soldiers were killed, a monument was put up commemorating all six men. And on the monument, there's two hands joined, brother against brother, you know, in friendship. And I just thought it a very moving monument to both sides who fought in the Civil War. And both sides attended that unveiling ceremony and... The two hands on it, I just you know, clasping hands and friendship. I just, I just thought it was a reconciling type of a monument, if you like. One of the tragic events during the Civil War was the killing of the O'Connor brothers in Kenmare by the the anti-treaty IRA. What happened there? Well, there was an IRA sweep to take the town, and the two O'Connor brothers had outstanding War of Independence records, and they were highly respected by both sides in the Civil War. And they didn't think that lives were in danger. Like, there was no sentries or anything like that put to guard their houses or where they lived. And uh, when they came to one of the brothers' houses, he came down the stairs to see what the fracas was at the door, and they just shot him dead. And then they went to his other brother's house, pulled him out of the bed by the hair, and held him down and basically shot him through the head. There was great revulsion over this. It left an awful bitter feeling in the area on both sides. One of the most harrowing events of the Civil War were the murders, the extrajudicial killings in Kerry in March 1923 by the National Army. Can you explain why the National Army did what they did to anti-treaty prisoners in their, in their custody? I mean, it appears that they went on a rampage. When I was doing the research here, I went into great depth, for instance, Bally City. Well, the roots of that is based in what happened in Nakhnagashu where the soldiers were led to a fake arms dump. And there was a guy there from the area who they were after. He was giving them great information. And he was killed there right in the explosion. But also, the reason that he joined the National Army was because the IRA called into his father's farm and basically robbed the farm. They were out in his fields and he needed to get the hay in. He couldn't, and he asked them to leave and they wouldn't leave. And it just so happened that a, um, a platoon of National Army soldiers came on the scene and they thought then that he was after getting them. So it sort of escalated from there and then his father's house was robbed and all, you know, all their cattle were taken and his money was taken and they were basically ruined. So the son, Pat O'Connor, went off and joined the National Army and he was a great help to them, you see, in the area where information and all that was concerned. So he was the IRA's number one target then that they needed to take him out. But in doing that, they lured him to this particular arms dump and there was a trap mine set. Two of the men who were killed in that were a guy called Captain Stapleton and Captain Dunn. And they were active service unit members from the War of Independence here in Dublin and served with Paddy O'Daly, who was over the forces in Kerry. One of them actually survived long enough to again ask for a priest. 
and their deaths, there were pieces of their bodies flown hundreds of yards from the scene into fields and ditches. But what happened was when Ward reached Paddy O'Daly, that fury he had to be actually held down because he was he was going to go out and just shoot anti-treaty soldiers in their cells. Do you know what I mean? He was in such a rage, so he had to be held down. But he, he decided to get revenge, and it, that led to the Bally City massacre, and that led then to a series of tit for tat killings as the war went on. So it was really brutal in Kerry. It was indeed, and uh, it's a fantastic book, James. It's a fantastic achievement, beautifully produced, but let's face it, it does make a pretty grim reading, but it also sheds light on one of the darkest chapters in our recent history. Thank you very much for talking to us uh, today about it, and we look forward to the second volume on the anti-treaty dead of the Civil War. The Forgotten Fallen by James Langton is published by Kilmainham Tales and can be purchased from them online at kilmainhamtales.ie. Again, James, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the History Show this evening. Thanks very much, Miles, for having me on. That's just about all we've time for on this evening's programme, and in fact, all we've time for on this season of The History Show. This will be our last episode for a while, but we'll be back in the autumn with another run of The History Show. In the meantime, you can, of course, always listen back to podcasts of our previous programmes, including the special 10-part Irish War of Independence series, which we made last year. You'll find those on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show, or just search for RTE History Show wherever you get your podcasts. Our researcher is Liz Gillis. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening.